Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, December 6th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news and maybe have a little bit of an argument over what constitutes a Christmas movie. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Chris, I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but here in Los Angeles, it has been pouring like cats and dogs. Um, it's been crazy. I, I do not want to leave my house. Um, no, it's not. It's it's sunny here, but it, it's also cold because we have seasons, unlike L.A. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's strangely cold here, which is crazy. Um, okay, let's jump into it because this morning, the 2019 Golden Globe nominations were announced uh ht did a whole write-up for the site where you can read all the nominations but ben uh tell us about the biggest categories and then we'll talk about uh maybe some su- surprises and snubs yes so the golden globe award nominations were announced this morning andy samberg and sandra O oh are going to be hosting this year's ceremony and the uh nominees in the best motion picture drama category are black panther black klansman Bohemian Rhapsody, If Beale Street Could Talk, and A Star is Born. And then in Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, you have Crazy Crazy Rich Asians, The Favorite, Green Book, Mary Poppins Returns, and Vice. And Vice, I think, is one of the bigger surprises of the entire Golden Globe, like all of the nominations across the board, because that movie doesn't necessarily strike me as a... (laughs) golden globes friendly film uh chris i think is probably the only one here on this podcast who's seen the movie no, already I, I, i've also seen it i oh, agree with chris okay. I, I i do love this movie but i it has i'm not even sure the review embargo has broken on this movie has it chris no it's not up until next week but the it's it's definitely very polarizing yeah. i know for a fact that for some reason all the critics in new york uh, feel about feel one way about this film as opposed to everyone else. So, uh, I, I uh, Peter and I are on the opposite end of the spectrum of the critics in New York. So take from that 
what you will. That's <laughs> that's me dancing around saying what I think about the movie. And also take uh, – by the way, I got a screener and was not told what I could not say about the movie. So uh, no embargo for me. But uh, the fact that we both agree with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association – might be a bad sign for us, Chris. Yeah, I'm considering changing my opinion. I already wrote my review, but now I have to go back and give it a review because I don't want to be, I don't want to be in league with the Golden Globes. And just for for people maybe who are listening to this who haven't been paying attention to how the Golden Globes work, that it's a it's a voting body that consists of something like. 90 people it's definitely less than 100 people and it's all journalists who um i mean not to like denigrate anybody but just like look at (laughs) at the at the nominations over the past 10 years and you can see that this is true they love glad handing with famous people so a lot of their nominees uh nominations from all, all across all these different categories are basically in the hopes of convincing movie stars to show up to the ceremony so they can, you know, take pictures with them and hang out and, and feel cool about themselves. So, I mean, that's a long way of saying anybody who puts too much stock into the Golden Globes and whether this movie got nominated or that one did or is really disappointed about this stuff really shouldn't care about the Golden Globes that much. That said, um, you know, what are some other surprises here? I guess First Man and Widows not appearing, that's... Kind of, uh, you know, kind of shows that they're probably not going to be big players this year for award season. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, they, the uh, one of the bigger surprises for me was that Mary Poppins Returns didn't get any nominations for song, and and that's one of the things that I figured would be. Uh, Mary Poppins Returns is like the perfect Golden Globes movie. Um, it, it, you know, it has a bunch of uh, famous people in it. It's very like bright and poppy and colorful and sort of uh, garish and loud at times. And I feel like they really react to that. And I just assumed that they would love every aspect of this movie. But it seems like the best original song uh, category, <laughs> Mary Poppins Returns got no love. And I guess other people have pointed out that the original Mary Poppins also did not get nominated in this category, but I I don't think that that's necessarily uh, an indicator that the, the music in both <laughs> movies is on the same level, because it's certainly not. Yeah, and on the TV side of things, I know I've not seen this show, but The Americans is one of those shows that everybody's telling me to watch. It's, it's considered one of the best uh, dramatic shows of the last decade and it finally got a nomination for best drama uh what was shut out i think this uh, might upset ben a little bit here is maniac um yeah which... i man that was like one of my favorite tv watching experiences this year was going into maniac not knowing anything about it and just sort of being blown away blown away by what uh carrie fukunaga did with that show um the only other huge Upset in the TV category that I can think of is that Atlanta sort of got shut out. The The second season of Donald Glover's show has been in, popping up on almost every best of TV year end list that I've seen recently. And the gold, the Golden Globes have just ignored it. So, um, yeah, that's a, an odd omission there. Yeah. And also um, uh, Atlanta didn't get nominated. Uh, but instead, Sasha Baron Cohen's Who is America? I don't know. I, I I think I'm probably seeing the reason why the Hollywood Foreign Press Association maybe uh, is so into Vice is maybe it's kind of a political statement. It's a very mm-hmm. political movie. Maybe, but like Chris, would you would you peg the cast of Vice as the type of 
actors that <laughs> the people in the HFPA would want to like glad hand with. It seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, I, don't, I mean, performance wise, they're great. I mean, Christian Bale and Amy Adams are phenomenal in general, and they're great in this movie. But uh, uh, Christian Bale is weird because he always seems very standoffish and I can't picture him, you know, schmoozing with people. But at the same time, I actually had read that Vice was the last film they watched before they voted. So I I had this feeling like it was the freshest film in their (laughs) mind. That's why it got all the nominations. But that that sounds like I'm underselling the movie. I, 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 I like, I I love how we imagine the, the Hollywood foreign press association members to be like the most idiotic, stupidest people ever they all have dunce caps on they're just banging their heads against the wall (laughs) i do remember seeing uh the uh prometheus in in a movie theater in london and at the end of the movie i guess spoilers for prometheus david's head gets chopped off and a hollywood foreign press association association member behind me was confused that he was a robot (laughs) <laughs> at that point in the movie, at oh, the end no. of the movie. Okay. Anyways, I, I, that's not indicative of all the members of that organization, and but I did want to relay that. Okay. Anyways, uh, let's move on to uh, the new Chucky movie. The creator of uh, Child's Play is not happy about this. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah. So uh, Don Mancini has been involved with Child's Play since the beginning. He's the guy who came up. With the idea, he, he's either written or directed every single movie in the franchise up until this remake. So what happened here is MGM owns the rights to the, the first Child's Play. They don't own any of the others, but they own the first one, which means they can do you know, whatever they want with the property. And what happened is, you know, obviously, they decided we're going to make a remake of it. And uh, Don Mancini has nothing to do with the remake and MGM offered him a, a executive producer credit. You know, a lot of times the executive producer credit is for people who just came up with the idea. They don't actually work on the film. They just get the credit for coming up with the idea. And he flat out said, no, I don't want this credit because that's how much he's upset with this, this remake. Cause you know, he doesn't want a credit for having nothing to do with the movie. And, and, another, and, and it should be said, having that credit could mean a lot of money for him at the end of the year, too. Right, yeah, and he just flat out turned it down. And another reason he turned it down is he's still making his own child's play movies, his own Chucky movies. So there's going to be the, these two Chucky universes now where there's the MGM remake and then there's Don Mancini's universe, which he's now turning into a TV series. And, uh, you know... The way he put it was, you know, if this movie comes out and this movie is terrible, it could, you know, it could in a way tarnish the brand that he's still working in. So, you know, he's he's worried it's going to interfere with his livelihood, basically, because all he does really is is make Chucky movies. And, you know, he does some TV work, too. So uh, that's where it stands. You know, he has nothing to do with this remake. He's not happy about it. And I'm not happy about it either. So I, I feel for you, Don Mancini. We'll have to see how this turns out. Uh, let's move on to the – they're doing a 21 Jump Street spinoff, uh, a female-led 21 Jump Street spinoff. Uh, and we now know who they're eyeing for the stars of this movie. Brad, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so we're um, finally seeing that this 21 Jump Street 
spinoff is coming together. It's been in the works for a while now. We keep hearing about it on and off for a few years. And it seems like this is the one that's going to make it out of the uh, other possible uh, continuation of the 21 Jump Street franchise, which was would have uh, had Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum become part of the Men in Black. Um, but obviously with a lot of the female-led remakes and uh, whatnot coming around, this seems a little bit more appealing as far as box office is concerned. So it, um, it looks like Tiffany Haddish is currently in early talks to have one of the lead roles. And since she's a huge comedy star right now, that feels like a no-brainer. And then the second lead, um, although she's not in negotiations or anything yet, apparently at the top of the list for the second lead is Aquafina, who had a pretty uh, big breakthrough role in as a supporting star in Crazy Rich Asian. She was also part of Ocean's 8. Um, so this, it's still early on right now. They're still getting the cast together. And it might seem odd that Tiffany Haddish is not talked for this because she's um, not really that young of an actress to be able to play an undercover cop working in high school. Granted, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill weren't super young when they did theirs, but they use it like made it made jokes out of it and that kind of thing. But Tiffany Haddish is even older than they were at the time that they started doing 21 Jump Street. But apparently there's going to be a change kind of in how uh, these cops go undercover that will make it make sense. Uh, apparently Tiffany Haddish's character will be posing as a teacher at the high school and also the mother of a new student who is also an undercover cop, and that's what Aquafina's role would be. So we uh, we get a new character dynamic here because we have to have these two characters pretending to be a mother and daughter, um, and so that kind of that makes it feel a little bit more fresh, which I actually like. It's not just taking the same plot as Twenty One Jump Street and just having two female characters instead. Gives it a different spin, allows for different uh, comedic situations, and uh, I, I hope that it works. They have you know Twenty Twenty Two Jump Street writer Rodney Rothman who is. Uh, retooling the script and he's also supposed to direct instead of phil lord and chris miller so hopefully he can capture some of what made the the first two jump street movies so good yeah the director's the only thing about that uh story that i'm that doesn't excite me about that movie um let's move on to resident evil they're rebooting this video game to movie franchise and they have found a director ben what do we know Yes. So Johannes Roberts, who's the guy who directed 47 Meters Down, the low budget shark movie that actually overperformed pretty, pretty well uh, in 2017 when that was released, uh, is directing a Resident Evil reboot. So we wrote, I think it was last year, about how James Wan, the director of Aquaman and The Conjuring, was attached to produce this movie. But in Variety's report yesterday that talks about Roberts being hired to direct this reboot, it, they didn't mention James Wan's name in there at all. So that's kind of uh, dis uh, distressing because I think for a lot of people, the idea of Wan being attached to that gave them a little bit of a sigh of relief of like, okay, you know, you know, this, this property is going to be in, uh, in hands of people who know what they're doing as filmmakers. Um, and I just, I mean, Johannes Roberts has directed the other side of the door and the strangers pray at night. And he also has, those sound like two movies that probably Chris has seen. <laughs> yeah, what, I don't know. Chris, have you what, seen those? What was the first one? The Other Side of the Door. I, did like not, a, I didn't see that, but I did see Strangers Pray at Night, which I did like. So okay, there you go. All right. And he also is directing uh, 47 Meters Down, the next chapter, which for some reason is not called 48 Meters Down anymore. I don't understand why they changed that 
uh, title. But uh, yeah, this uh, Peter, this is the the kind of news story that like I almost fall asleep while I'm writing it because <laughs> it's just it's it's like what uh... we were talking about yesterday with Robert Schwenke directing uh, the Snake Eyes movie. It's like yeah, I guess there's competent people and you know yeah sure it's a franchise that you recognize but like give me more than that i don't know you know i'm not a big video gamer i know there are people that love those resident evil movies from paul ws anderson but uh i know that there's also a lot of video game fans that want a more faithful adaptation of the the game series uh so maybe this is the chance to get that I don't know. Like you said, I, I have no, you know, money in this game. So uh, it's, to me, it just doesn't sound that interesting. Uh, Brad, are, are you at all interested in a new Resident Evil movie? Uh, I mean, the original Resident Evil movies were pretty much perfect and my favorite movies of all time. Um, so <laughs> I can't imagine a remake doing any better than what Paul W. Anderson already did. Like we're talking video game masterpiece here. It's uh, no, I don't care. I don't care. I guess the only thing that's worth probably pointing out is that uh, the original resident evil franchise is the highest grossing film franchise based on a video game. So it, it definitely, it holds that distinction, but that's kind of about it. I think and McDonald's is one of the most popular restaurants in the world. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of McDonald's, Movie Pass has returned, and uh, they they have announced new plans that they're hoping to win back customers. Brad, what is going on here? Uh, I'm not sure what that segue was, but I'll go along with it. I'm, I'm just compa- <laughs> okay. It was probably a bad segue, but I was trying to compare Movie Pass to McDonald's. Look, Brad, they both start with M. All right, so just they let start it go. with them. That's a good point. Hey, I did, not, not, not every uh, segue can be a winner, Brad. I did hear I did hear Movie Pass is going to start selling chicken McNuggets too. So, uh, but no, Movie Pass guys, they've changed. You know, like they were they were so bad at all the things they were doing uh, after they started losing money and like changing their policies. Every but but they're week. bringing back the McRib. See, they are bringing back the McRib. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they've uh, they come came back and they basically groveled. In this little profile with Variety, uh, MoviePass CEO Mitch Lowe says, quote, We have a lot to prove to all our constituents. We don't just have to prove ourselves to our members, but we also have to prove ourselves to the investment community, our employees, and our partners. We believe we're doing everything that we possibly can to deliver a great service, and we're in the process of fixing all the things that went wrong. And that part of that big fix includes introducing uh, three new monthly plans that are different tiers uh, that give you different kinds of access to movie tickets. Um, they have a, a select one that is their cheapest option that will uh, get you three movies a month, but not all movies will be available uh, the first weekend that they're in release. There'll be limitations on that, kind of like what MoviePass currently has with their subscriptions. How much is but that? It, that one starts at nine ninety five, but it's a little bit more expensive if you live in the higher populated areas like New York and Los Angeles. Um, you get, we have a, a little picture chart on in our article that you can check out and see exactly what the, the how higher the price could be depending on where you live. Um, the second one is the all access one that starts at fourteen ninety five. That will allow you access to any movie at any time, no restrictions. Um, but you can't see anything uh, in IMAX or three D. And then there's the red carpet one, which is all movies, all showtimes, and it also gets you into one premium screening, which means 3D, IMAX, different kinds of formats, whatever. And that starts at $19.95 a month. Again, all of these plans are still only three movies a month. So 
uh, you're still not really getting as much of a bargain as you were with, say, the AMC Stubbs A-list promotion, which gives you three movie tickets to whatever screening you want uh, at any time every single week. Um, but this is apparently the best price model for them to be able to uh, break even on paying for tickets and also stay afloat. Um, there's also new yearly subscription prices that you can check out as well in our, in our article. And apparently, along with part of the housekeeping, uh, Mitch Lowe, um, while he'll still be the CEO, there's a new executive vice president named uh, Khalid Etam. Um, I assume that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's taking over the day-to-day operations, and he was responsible for apparently creating these uh, new pricing models, and he's going to forge new relationships with studios and exhibitors. Um, I just you know, I just don't know if, if this feels like too little too late for me to movie pass. I think they've broken the trust of a, a lot of subscribers. They're not coming out and saying how many they've lost since all of their problems that they've had. Um, but, you know, the, these new pricing tiers go into effect on January 1st, so we'll see if it's enough to, to keep them around or if it's, you know, just... Uh, one terrible last breath of trying to stay uh, in business. Uh, what do you guys think? Like this, I mean, these prices are, are fa- like, okay. I love AMC a list. I'm using it every week. I'm going to AMC theaters. I probably only see like one movie a week, but even then, if you, even, even if you see like one movie a month in LA, that's worth the price. Um, these prices are very competitive. Even if you if you're only seeing th- you know those three movies a month, um, you know there's a lot of th- films that don't screen at AMC theaters. A lot of indie films. Uh, this is a little bit tempting, but I feel like you know it's like fool me once, shame mm-hmm. shame on me. You, you know it, it's that whole saying. Uh, ben, Brad, I mean Chris, like wh- what do you think? Like is this enough to make you want to go back? to movie pass no No. absolutely not i think you know the brand is tarnished forever like i don't know if they could do anything at this point to to win back like brad was saying they eroded the trust so much over the past year of just terrible decision after terrible decision that i I just don't know how anybody could be like you know what i believe them this time that everything's gonna be great i'm gonna give them more of my money it just i don't know I, i feel like uh, everyone should just write them off and um, and explore other options if this is something that you're interested in because I, that's what I would do. There's no way that I would subscribe to MoviePass at, at this point. Brad, I know you enjoyed many years as a MoviePass subscriber. Like, is there nothing they can do? No, I mean, they could, they could give me my own movie theater and uh, I... <laughs> I wouldn't sign up for Movie Pass because I'm sure that, that that movie theater would get taken taken away once they go out of business. I feel so bad for Movie Pass, but they they royally ruined this. They 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 screwed this up so badly. Let's move on to a new poll, which shows that most people do not consider Die Hard to actually be a Christmas movie. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, so every year around this time, this argument crops up where some people insist Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and then some people say it's not. Uh, so in, in with the hopes of putting this argument to bed, which will clearly never happen, uh, a poll was run by The Hollywood Reporter and this company called Morning Consult, and uh, I'm not going to give you, you know, the facts and figures, but basically it boils down to this. More people think Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie than think it is. So in other words, according to this poll, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. 
Uh, so, you know, like I said, this, this argument will probably never die down, but that's where it stands according to this poll, at least for now. But they have like diehard Christmas books. Isn't that enough to prove that it's a Christmas movie at this point? I mean, look, according to me, I, I think it is a Christmas movie, but obviously I'm, I guess I'm in the minority according to the, the, to this poll. You know, I guess we should discuss, you know, what actually makes a movie a Christmas movie. Hey, Peter. Hi, Peter. Uh, Jacob? Yes. yes, (laughs) Hi, Peter. Uh, I heard you say what makes a Christmas movie, and I warped onto the podcast as soon as possible because I have very strong opinions about this subject. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast slash on managing editor, Jacob Hall. Hello. Uh, I'll start with a question. I have a question for all of you. Uh, Would you watch Elf in July? (sighs) I guess. No, I guess not. No. Would you watch Die Hard in July? See, I would say no. I would watch. I would watch Elf in July simply because of all the Christmas in July promotions. (laughs) (laughs) So Jacob picked the worst possible example month. (laughs) Anyway, my my Gonzo opinion, the one that I'm told I'm psychotic for having, and you guys can let me have it in a second, is that a Christmas movie. There's a difference between a Christmas movie and a movie set at Christmas. A Christmas movie can only be watched and fully enjoyed in December, whereas a movie set at Christmas, like Die Hard or Batman Returns or It's a Wonderful Life, can be enjoyed year-round. I would never watch Elf outside of December. I would never watch uh, Polar Express outside of, outside of December. I would never watch The Grinch or Rudolph outside of December, because that would be a crazy thing to do, because they are Christmas movies. Whereas you can enjoy Die Hard, a movie set at Christmas, but not about Christmas, where you can remove the Christmas from it and it's still the same movie. <laughs> And that, look, if you can remove Christmas from the plot, the plot still functions the same. It is not a Christmas movie. And that applies to Die Hard, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, and all those movies. So they are not Christmas movies. Wait, if you remove, the if, you remove if you remove the Christmas from Die Hard, then what kind of party are they having yeah. at the time? My are wife they... has office parties every other month for all kinds of things. It's a corporate oh, thing. Everyone has oh, parties. Oh, they have parties where, where people are dressed up like, like Santa Claus and stuff like that? And... <laughs> you you, you, Die Hard does not <laughs> eat Santa Claus. You take, Die, you take Santa Claus from Die Hard, it's the same movie. What's, what's John McClane going to write on that guy's sweatshirt? Hey, 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 it's an office party. I got a machine <laughs> <laughs> Any other great line of dialogue, because you know what? Die Hard is full of amazing, like witty, memorable dialogue. It has nothing to do with Christmas. So come up with something else. I, I've I've worked with Jacob for years now, very closely. You know, he's the managing editor of the site. We've argued over, you know, what should be on the site, what shouldn't be on the site. I've never, ever heard him be this <laughs> this passionate about, uh, I don't know, his feelings on something other than, you know, the, <sighs> does anybody have an argument against this? Like, I feel like I would watch Elf in, like, July. See, I I sort of see what Jacob is saying, but I also like I consider Eyes Wide Shut a Christmas movie because Christmas is all over that movie, and I would never watch Eyes Wide Shut in like July because I would feel weird. I always watch it in December, so I think in some ways I'm agreeing with Jacob, but I'm also allowing for more movies into into that uh, that classification that he is because the same thing with like. Edward Scissorhands like I'd feel weird watching that in April but I I would gladly watch it this month because it has so much Christmas uh, you know uh, visuals in it Christmas imagery 
Hmm. Yeah, I think it's I, I think what this boils down to is uh, a feeling versus an aesthetic. And Chris seems to be more open to uh, defining a Christmas movie based on a film's aesthetic and whether or not it has like Christmas decorations and lights and stuff like that in it. And Jacob seems to be more in tune with like, does this movie give you that special Christmas feeling, which is like more ineffable than, um, you know, than, than demonstrable, I think, in a lot of cases. But, and, and so I, I kind of on, you know, if, if you're drawing that line, I kind of am on Jacob's side, except earlier in, in the Slack channel, Jacob mentioned that it's a wonderful life is not a Christmas movie because, if you take Christmas out of it, it still, you know, fits his requirements of like just being a drama that you could watch anytime. And I firmly feel like it's a wonderful life as a Christmas movie. So I don't know. I, I'm like one, one leg in one leg out on this one. I think. Ben, are you implying that you can't be generous 11 months out of the year that you wouldn't rush to your fellow man's aid in <laughs> September it has to be in December. Is that the argument you're making here no, on this podcast? Ben? No, the, the argument is that <laughs> it's a wonderful life gives me that ineffable Christmas feeling, whereas a lot of other movies do not. So therefore I consider it on my personal scale, a Christmas movie. Wait, Jacob, then what about Gremlins? Is Gremlins a Christmas movie? Gremlins is really tough because it's soaked in Christmas imagery. Uh, But I think that because Gremlins exists to subvert the imagery and to, like, take the piss out of it and to, like, really be nasty about it, that doesn't quite qualify. It is is a subversion of Christmas as opposed to embracing of Christmas. So, So Gremlins is totally fine for July. How about You've Got Mail? You've Got Mail is not a Christmas movie. It is a movie set at Christmas. Also, you've got mail isn't even really mostly set at Christmas, so I don't I don't even consider that a Christmas movie like at all. Yeah, I think there has to be like a certain ratio because, you know, as Lethal Weapon also takes place during Christmas, the first one, but I don't really classify that as Christmas because there's only like one scene where you see Christmas stuff, and the rest of the movie is very non-Christmassy. Whereas Die Hard. It's all set in one place around Christmas time, and that makes it feel more Christmassy. I don't know. I know. I know. None of this is official. This is just how I look at it. <laughs> I just want to put out one more thing before people yell at me about this. I'm not saying you can't watch Gremlins, Die Hard, in December or at Christmas. That's fine. You, you're welcome to. They, they are great for the season. I just would not pigeonhole them as Christmas movies. I hope that makes sense. Hmm. You know, some people actually consider some of the Harry Potter movies and Lord of the Ring movies to be Christmas movies. Because they were released at that time, and because people like that, uh, everyone, the movies people watched in theaters with their families like when they came out in the, in this season years ago. So I get it. I get why that's a, a comforting thing to do, but they're not Christmas movies. <laughs> so for you, the bottom line is if you could remove Christmas from the movie and it would still be basically the same movie, it's not a Christmas movie? That would be my definition, yes. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy those movies at Christmas time, but I do think that the average Christmas movie tends to be not very good for this reason. Like Die Hard is a great movie. It's better than pretty much any other Christmas movie out there. Um, but like Miracle 34th Street, the original one from the 40s, I adore that movie. It's wonderful and lovely. Maybe the high watermark of what a Christmas movie can be. Uh, but if you remove Christmas from that movie, the entire thing falls apart. It is built on a foundation of Christmas and the holiday season. Whereas Die Hard, like we discussed earlier, office party. You don't need the Christmas. Hmm. But so you're almost suggesting that a Christmas movie is not as good as a normal movie. I think that, that once you real, once you take into account the movies that are fundamentally about Christmas 
and 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 fall under my admittedly possibly crazy definition of what a Christmas movie is. There aren't that many great Christmas movies. I think there are a lot of comforting Christmas movies, a lot of really lovely Christmas movies, a lot of very fun Christmas movies, but very few of them um, have any interest in being great movies. They want to be comfort food, which is fine for the season. That, that's what we want out of the season. We want a, something pleasant to enjoy with our families. So I get it. But I think I only need one hand to count like maybe the Christmas movies I think are legit great films, uh, whereas I would need you know, a couple dozen hands to count the great movies that are set at Christmas. Hmm. How crazy? How crazy am I? Am I crazy? Shane Black is going to hear this podcast and weep somewhere. (laughs) Like I feel like those Charlie Brown. I guess are those movies or TV specials? They're they're TV specials. I mean that that the Charlie Brown Christmas has to be a Christmas thing. It's it's literally about Christmas. You can't remove that. No one's arguing that, right? Wait, I got one. What about the Nightmare Before Christmas? Halloween movie, man. No, that's a Christmas movie. It's a Halloween. It is about Halloween conquering Christmas, and how Halloween is better than Christmas. Yeah, it's a Halloween movie all around. It starts when Halloween is over. Halloween has ended when that movie starts. It can't but be a Halloween movie. It's a celebration of Halloween and about how Christmas is not, Christmas is never going to fulfill you as much as Halloween will. Halloween's always going to be there for you, or Christmas lets you down. At least you spiral on the ground after your sleigh is shot down. Uh, worthless man christmas is a worthless holiday halloween wins that's the message of nightmare for christmas oh boy this this took a a dark turn (laughs) uh all right now let's talk about hanukkah movies (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm sure there's lots of listeners out there that are disagreeing with everything that's being said on this podcast uh if you have a strong opinion that is something that wasn't said in this discussion of Christmas movies, please send it to peter at slashfilm.com and maybe we'll read it on the air in a future episode. Uh, Jacob, where can we find more of you online? I'm on slashfilm.com and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. Brad, where can we find more of your work? At Ethan underscore Anderton on Twitter. My podcast, Go Flix Yourself on iTunes and always at slashfilm.com. Ben, where can we find you? Slashfilm.com and Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. Chris, where are you at? Uh, I, too, am at Slashfilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me at Slashfilm on all social media. You can find all the stories we talked about today on Slashfilm.com and linked in the show notes. This podcast, Slashfilm Daily, is published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please go to our iTunes page. Uh, write us a review, write us a couple sentences, tell people why you love this podcast, tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.